happening, food eaters? This is the Food Labels Revealed podcast with your host, Mel Weinstein, your most self-effacing, self-professed prophet of processed foods. This is episode number 63. The topic for today's show is a little strange, a little out there. But its impact on the food industry in the near future is likely to be remarkable. Ordinarily, I talk about ingredients and processed foods that are sold in groceries, box stores, and convenient marts. But the topic for this episode is food not available in those places, at least not yet. So, what am I talking about? Bioengineering. Some of you, maybe most of you, have gotten wind of this relatively new technology for creating novel foods or old foods in new clothing. Maybe you heard about the $415,000 hamburger that was debuted and eaten in 2013. Maybe you heard about the new ice cream prepared using biosynthesized dairy protein. And, less likely, maybe you read about fermented egg whites. That's the stuff of this program. So first, let's launch the subject with a bit of history. In the mid-20th century, medical researchers got interested in regenerative medicine, the science dealing with restoring to normal function tissues that were damaged by disease, trauma, or age. The first experiments involved injecting cells from healthy individuals, human or animal, into people who had life-threatening diseases. The procedures were done in vivo, that is, inside the body. Then, starting in the 1990s, after the discovery of stem cells, experiments were conducted in vitro, that is, outside the body in a laboratory setting, using special media, Cell replication was encouraged to grow tissues like cartilage that could be implanted in people suffering from arthritis or creating new skin for burn victims. Some scientists familiar with this new medical technology realize the potential for replicating tissues taken from food animals. Rather than birthing a cow, raising the cow, that is providing food, nutrients, water, shelter, vet care, etc., slaughtering the cow, processing the meat, and then distributing it, maybe, just maybe, a juicy steak could be manufactured in a laboratory setting. Surprisingly, this was not a new concept, but the tools and know-how did not become available until the early 2000s. Believe it or not, Winston Churchill, yes, it was Winston Churchill, first suggested the possibility way back in 1931 in an essay entitled 50 Years Hence. This is what he wrote, quote, We shall escape the absurdity of growing a whole chicken to eat the breast or wing by growing these parts separately under a suitable medium, end quote. In the late 1940s, a Dutch student by the name of Willem van Elen, after attending a lecture on the preservation of meat, imagined the idea of growing meat outside the body in a laboratory. He was not a vegetarian, but he cared strongly about how food animals were treated and desired to grow meat without inflicting pain. 
As a medical student, he learned about the practical requirements for such a project, but he eventually dropped out of school to pursue other interests. However, he never gave up on his idea and saved money for future research. By the 1990s, he had partnered with several investors and raised $750,000 for projects. The experiments led to several patents, but his work never succeeded in creating lab-grown meat. Sadly, he died in 2015 at the age of 91, right on the cusp of new discoveries in the field. In 2008, PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, announced a $1 million prize to the first company to bring lab-grown chicken to market. Two criteria had to be met. One, the engineered chicken had to be indistinguishable from real chicken. And two, the product had to be scaled up in production to produce enough quantities to be competitively sold in at least 10 states. Since no companies were able to claim the prize, a contest was extended until March 2014. Still, there was no winner, but a competition among bioengineering companies was kindled. Mark Post, a researcher at the University of Maastricht and co-founder of the Dutch company Mosa Meat, created the first cultured meat burger. The callous hamburger was cooked and tasted in London in 2013. Sergey Brin, co-founder of Google, financed the production of the $415,000 burger. As the technology of bioengineering has advanced, the cost has dropped to about $16 per burger and is anticipated to begin to compete with animal-based burgers in a few years as efficiencies in production steadily improve. The world was caught by surprise in December 2020 when another player in bioengineered foods, Eat Just, debuted its lab-made chicken in Singapore. It sold under the brand name good meat. The CEO is Josh Tetrick, who brought fake eggs, called Just Egg, to the market in 2018. In Singapore, the upscale restaurant 1880 Leone's served up the new chicken entree to some 40 guests who later raved about its taste and texture. The small but technologically advanced country of Singapore fast-tracked the regulatory process for the new food to just over a two-year period and became the first country to approve a bioengineered food. Western nations such as the United States, Britain, Canada, and, and members of the European Union are likely to have longer approval processes, so don't hold your breath or palate since you're unlikely to find these lab-grown meats in your favorite restaurants anytime soon. A logical question to ask is, why bother to create cultured meat products when conventional meat has been around for several millennia? The answer to that question comes down to four arguments. One, environmental. Two, economical. Three, health. 
and for animal welfare. First, let's look at the environmental argument. Meat production is predicted to grow 70% by 2050 as more and more non-Western countries adopt Western ways of eating. To sustain that growth, more land will be needed for grazing. The production of feed crops, like soy and corn, will need to increase, which will reduce important ecosystems like rainforests and thereby diminish biodiversity. Water usage will go up, putting pressure on that diminishing resource. Pollution levels will rise due to an increase in animal waste production. Greenhouse gases, like methane, will increase since ruminant animals, like cattle, emit those gases, so the global climate will be adversely affected. Second, with ever-increasing world population and more mouths to feed, food production costs are likely to rise. Roughly 70 billion land animals are currently slaughtered each year to provide meat, and that number will go up dramatically. These economic changes will affect land management, input costs such as seed, fertilizer, wheat, and pest control chemicals, production costs like machinery and labor, and distribution costs, transportation and stores. All these will go up. Food prices will likely skyrocket. Third, there are some real downsides regarding the health aspects of meat. Serious diseases like obesity, heart attack, stroke, and cancer are linked to diets high in meat consumption due to elevated levels of cholesterol, saturated fat, and hormones. Resistance to antibiotics in treating microbial diseases in humans is linked to the excessive use of those drugs in raising animals for meat, thus reducing their effectiveness in fighting the infections in humans. Current methods of meat production are associated with foodborne illnesses like salmonella and listeria. Fourth, the last argument addresses the inherent cruelty in the livestock industry where animals are raised in horrendous disease-causing conditions, killed at very young ages, and treated inhumanely. In summary, lab-grown meat could eliminate most of these problems and also be sustainable. That said, let's briefly look at the process for making cultured meat. First, a bit of nomenclature. A number of names for bioengineered meat have arisen in the last decade including healthy meat, slaughter-free meat, in vitro meat, vat-grown meat, lab-grown meat, cell-based meat, clean meat, cultivated meat, and synthetic meat. The names that have risen to the top are lab-grown meat, clean meat, and cultivated or cultured meat. Those are the names that you're likely to see on the food labels of the future, but that will depend on the regulatory process which is established by the USDA and FDA. The two general processes for making lab-grown foods are, one, replication of animal cells, and two, using microbes in fermentation. I'll talk about the fermentation process later. Let's focus on lab meat. To make cultivated meat, scientists biopsy muscle stem cells from a live animal. According to Wikipedia, stem cells are undifferentiated or partially differentiated cells 
that can differentiate into various types of cells and proliferate indefinitely to produce more of the same stem cell. They are the earliest type of cell in a cell lineage. The stem cells are then grown in a special media to produce muscle tissue. The tissue is then fed, multiplied, shaped, and structured using a bioreactor to form a meat product. Alternatively, instead of stem cells, primary cells can be extracted from animal muscle. Primary cells are fully developed and are better than stem cells in that sense, but they don't reproduce as well. Stem cells are like a blank slate, so depending upon the biochemicals in the medium, they can be coaxed to produce different kinds of cells like muscle or fat. Plus, they reproduce better and live longer. The process just makes a mass of meat cells, which might resemble ground beef, but to make specific cuts that resemble natural meat, like steak, a scaffold must be present to train the muscle cells to grow in specific ways. In animal bodies, the protein collagen provides mechanical support for cellular growth, but in lab-grown meat, the challenge is to find a suitable plant material to serve as a scaffold in the process. Needless to say, there are plenty of trade secrets regarding muscle tissue proliferation and structure building in this new industry. Nowadays, there are a bevy of companies involved in the bioengineering of meat. If you search under cultured meat in Wikipedia, you'll find a table of about 38 companies that are working in this field. The primary area of research is for beef analogs because this is the most expensive type of meat in the marketplace and it has the highest environmental impact. The companies that master the replication of beef products will likely be the most financially successful. Lab-grown meat is often called clean meat since the conditions for growing it can be absolutely controlled, for example, using a sterile environment. Currently, that requirement demands the use of antibiotics to fight off bacterial contamination, but the reactors of the future will be sterile systems, thus eliminating the need for antibiotics and making the clean meat a better alternative to the natural meat derived from cattle who are still raised on antibiotic-treated feed. Also, the controlled production will allow for the introduction of other key nutrients such as fat, vitamins, etc. To give you something to think about, here is a quote from an article in Sentient Media. Imagine you were given the task of producing 175 million quarter pounder burgers and you had two choices of how to go about it. On the one hand, you could use the existing animal agricultural system, which would require you to raise, kill, and process 440,000 cows to fill the order. On the other hand, you could opt for lab-grown meat, which would allow you to use tissue from one single cow. This scenario might seem fantastical, but the nascent clean meat industry is on the cusp of providing human societies with exactly this option. Given that meat consumption is projected to skyrocket in the coming decades, that one cow solution is seeming better by the day. While the term lab-grown meat 
suggests a realm of mad scientists bent over Petri dishes, the reality is far different, less nefarious, and much more innovative than many imagine. End quote. Next, I turn my attention to dairy. Foods containing dairy products are huge. It's very pervasive in the food supply. However, there are significant percentages of people who don't do well with dairy products. Two main areas of concern are lactose intolerance and allergies. Lactose intolerance arises from the deficiency of the enzyme lactase to break down milk sugar, thus causing GI distress. Many people, as they grow out of childhood, lose the ability to synthesize this lactase enzyme and therefore develop intolerance to lactose in foods. Depending upon the geographic location and ethnicity, the percentage of the population with this disorder can vary, but there are a number of populations which are strongly affected by lactose intolerance. For example, 90 to 100% of East Asians 80 to 100 percent of Native Americans, 75 percent of African Americans, 70 percent of Southern India, and 51 percent of Latinos in North America. To avoid the problem, affected people can, one, avoid consuming food products containing milk, two, drink milk that is pre-treated with lactase to eliminate the milk sugar, or three, consume products containing non-dairy milk. The second problem people have with milk is due to a food allergy. Most of the time this occurs in children, with the youngest having the worst problems. It's estimated that 8% of the U.S. population of children have a milk allergy. The allergic reaction results from an abnormal immune response to milk proteins and is accompanied by hives, wheezing, coughing, vomiting, and other symptoms. Let's talk about milk proteins. There are two kinds of them, classified as whey and casein. Allergies can develop with just one or both. When cheese is made, milk is curdled with specific enzymes. The solid residue that forms contains mostly the casein protein. The liquid fraction left over contains mostly whey protein. When the liquid fraction is dried, whey protein powder is produced, which is used as a common protein supplement, particularly for bodybuilders and athletes. The casein protein gets concentrated in cheese. When casein is digested, it can produce chemicals called casomorphines, which, as the name suggests, are opioids. The presence of opioids in cheese may explain cravings that some people have for cheese. Bioengineering is being used to provide a remedy for the issues involved with milk consumption. The company Perfect Day has invented the first whey protein made without animals. The chemical properties of whey in combination with oil create the creamy texture in products like ice cream. Perfect Day uses genetic engineering to incorporate whey protein producing genes in bacteria. When the bacteria reproduce in fermentation processes using plant sugars as an energy source, 
the bacterial cells generate whey protein. If this product replaces conventional milk and food products such as ice cream and yogurt, then the detrimental aspects of milk such as contamination with antibiotics and hormones can be avoided. In addition, environmental and animal welfare concerns such as factory farms, animal waste, and greenhouse gas emissions will be greatly reduced. This is really not a futuristic idea. Two startup companies, Brave Robot and Smitten, have developed non-dairy ice creams with the perfect day whey protein. The Brave Robot products are already on the shelves of grocery stores around the country. The use of bioengineered whey protein solves both problems discussed above, lactose intolerance and milk allergies. Let's take a look at one of the eight flavors of the Brave Robot ice cream line. Hazel chocolate chunk ice cream. Here are the ingredients. First, water, then sugar, coconut oil, ground hazelnuts, sunflower oil, non-animal whey protein, contains less than 2% of maltodextrin, cocoa processed with alkali, natural flavor, calcium, potassium, phosphate, citrate, salt, disodium phosphate, carabine gum, mono and diglycerides, sunflower lecithin, and cornstarch. So this product has 16 ingredients. Compare that against Ben and Jerry's non-dairy chocolate caramel cluster, which has 26 ingredients. The ingredients in the Brave Robot ice cream are all recognizable with the exception of number 10, which was calcium potassium phosphate citrate, which I've never seen on a label before. It's some kind of complex that supposedly makes calcium more readily absorbable. This ice cream is definitely a dessert and not a health food since it delivers 350 calories per serving, 17% fat, and 71% of the fat is saturated, mostly due to the coconut oil, and there's 21% sugar, but there's zero cholesterol. All right, finally, let's talk about eggs. The multifunctional egg serves many purposes in the food industry, particularly in baking. Eggs have been used for binding, leavening, that is like trapping air in things such as souffles and meringues, maintaining moisture, emulsifying oil and water, and adding flavor. But like other animal products, they have issues. First, they are on the seven worst allergens list. They are the second most common food allergy in infants and young children. Most children outgrow the allergy by the time they are five years old, but in some individuals, the allergy may last into the teen years or for the remainder of life. Second, eggs have one of the highest cholesterol contents of any food. A single egg yolk contains 184 milligrams of cholesterol and 1.6 grams of saturated fat. Third, animal welfare enters into the picture again because laying hens often are raised in abominable conditions in factory farms and that's where most eggs come from. Finally, eggs are shunned by plant-based eaters. 
For all these reasons, creative egg replacements have been sought over the years to be used in food preparations to mimic the favorable cooking and baking properties of natural eggs. For example, the following products have served as egg substitutes. Ground flaxseed, applesauce, silken tofu, nut butters, and aquafaba, which is bean juice. Several commercial products also can act as egg replacements, such as Energy, that's spelled E-N-E-R-G, and the aforementioned Just Egg. Additionally, with the advent of bioengineering techniques, new replacements are coming to the marketplace. For example, Clara Foods, an American biotechnology company based in San Francisco, has developed an egg white that's albumin protein, using an engineered yeast that produces the protein via a fermentation process. This product, not yet on the market, has the potential to replace egg whites in such foods as meringues, souffles, and angel food cake. So, food eaters, the food industry, as usual, is rapidly changing, but the new wrinkle is bioengineering. This technology will create old foods from new sources, but is also destined to create totally new foods. The big question that arises is whether consumers will accept those science-born foods. If they are equivalent in all ways to the natural products, that is taste, texture, appearance, and functionality, will people embrace them, or, knowing how they were made, will they be judged as alien and rejected? These new foods are coming, so each of us needs to make up our mind about them, so better now than later. Imagine, in a few years, you get invited by a friend for dinner at their house. You're at the dining room table, and the host brings out a beautiful-looking, wonderful-smelling roast and sets it on the table. Smiling, she says, this is my first attempt at preparing cultured roast beef. Well, how will you respond? Will you offend your friend by stomping out of the house in disgust? Will you stifle your disgust and eat the meat? Will you be open-minded and enthusiastically dig into the main course? We all need to be prepared for the advent of these futuristic foods, so you should think about it. Another very strong possibility for foods that never existed before is that they will wind up as ingredients in processed foods in grocery stores and restaurants. They will show up on a food label in some form or another. You may not recognize them, or if you do, you'll need to decide whether to consume the foods that contain these new ingredients. In the last century, this happened over and over and over again, and will likely continue to happen with bioengineered foods. Just think about GMO ingredients, partially hydrogenated oils, texturized vegetable protein, new preservatives and texturizers, and many other food creations that have entered the food supply in the last 50 years. Be prepared. What else may be in our future? Consider pasta made from cricket flour, black soldier fly larvae in protein bars, lab-grown fish fillets, food products made from algae, genetically modified foods using gene insertion to produce 
non-browning apples, non-bruising potatoes, and virus-resistant pigs, creating novel food shapes using 3D printing. Maybe these will be subjects for future episodes. That's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed researching the subject. If you know others who would get a kick out of this podcast, share the episode through your digital app by sending a link in a text or sharing in social media. To all the listeners in podcast land, old and new, I appreciate you tuning in. If you have a little more time, I'd greatly appreciate a five-star reading and review at the iTunes store. That will help spread the word about the show. If you have an Apple smartphone, bring up the podcast library and select the Food Labels Revealed podcast. Scroll to the bottom until you see ratings and reviews and click on Write a Review. If you don't have a streaming device, you can find all the episodes of Food Labels Revealed and their show notes at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com or just by Googling Food Labels Revealed. And I can be reached at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. That's foodlabelsrevealed, all one string, at gmail.com. Until later, remember this. If you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. The outro music piece is called Bright Wish, composed by Kevin McLeod.